The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Oh, good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, May 16th, and at this hour, a buyer that recently entered into contract to purchase a $10.5 million flatiron condo unit at 55 West 17th Street is having second thoughts. She is claiming that the sellers misrepresented the ceiling height of the unit, and as a result, the apartment is unable to hold her art collection, a new lawsuit she claims uh, just happened. Also at this hour, ever since the Department of City Planning's 2001 decision to rezone Long Island City, the Queens neighborhood has undergone a dramatic transformation with dozens of new residential towers going up in thoroughfares like Vernon and Jackson Boulevards becoming thriving commercial corridors. We will talk about that. Plus, the panel is here for Hot Topics, but first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and if you want to call into the program, the number is 1-866-472-5788, 1-866-472-5788. And in some news this morning, comedian Chris Rock may be living it up in Alpine, New Jersey these days, but he's held on to a carriage house in Clinton Hill in Brooklyn, since the 1990s. He's been renting it for some time now, most recently in 2013 for $8,000 a month, but it looks as if he's ready to part ways permanently. According to the New York Post, Rock just listed the two-bedroom home for $3.85 million, likely a very steep increase over what he bought it for more than 20 years ago. In the years since, the 3,700-square-foot home has gotten a modern, thoughtful renovation with new appliances, central air, and other nice perks. The home was built at the turn of the 20th century and some of the new details original wood beams exposed brick remain as uh, remain as well though it's configured as a two-bedroom with a stunning master suite it could also be changed into a three-bedroom for the discerning buyer it also comes with a patio and a two-car garage the listing is with douglas Elliman. There is a lot of history behind the lovely home at 14 Sutton Square, which just hit the market for $15 million. And as the story goes, the home was originally purchased by Dr. Robert Foster Kennedy, who worked with World War I soldiers suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD as it is known, in the 1920s, and commissioned architect H.O. Milliken to redesign the structure. Since then, it's gone to serve as home to a myriad of 20th century socialites and elites, including Anne Vanderbilt, widow of uh, uh, William K. Vanderbilt, and Anne Morgan, daughter of J.P. Morgan. After a 17-year hiatus from the market, it is now in need of a new owner. The residence spans 4,950 square feet with six bedrooms, seven bathrooms, and a multitude of gawk-worthy details. Classic design elements remain intact, but there are plenty of contemporary additions too. Everything from picturesque oversized windows to built-in shelving to elaborate fireplaces can be found throughout the home's six floors, and a spiral staircase gets you from one floor to the next, 
And yes, there's an elevator. But the best feature is the private patio with views of the East River. Living here also grants you access to Sutton Square's Secret Garden, a green oasis for some of New York's wealthiest residents. Well, it finally happened. Someone bought the 54, uh, 54th floor duplex at Time Warner Center. According to the latest Olshan Realty Report, the nearly 3,600-square-foot apartment is in contract at its most recent asking price of $16 million. The price tag is, you will recall, a very steep discount from when it hit the market uh, a year ago, uh, nearly four years ago, excuse me. It listed at $50 million, which was subsequently reduced first to $42.5 million, then to $35 million, then to $20 million, and finally to its low, low price of just $16 million. Low, low price of $16 million. Isn't wow. that amazing? Crazy. Its owner is self-made millionaire Cheryl Mercurius, and Ryan Serhant of Nest Seekers International and Bravo Celebrity Fame was the broker who finally got the deal done. But is this an elaborate ruse for the latest season of Million Dollar Listing New York? We will see that in a couple of weeks as the show resumes for its new season. Caesar Pele. The architect and founder of the Pele Clark Pele firm has just listed his apartment at the San Remo building at 145 Central Park West for $26 million per city records. Pele is known for his work designing skyscrapers such as the Patronus Towers in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia and Brookfield Place here in Lower Manhattan. According to the listing with Douglas Elliman, the 5,000 square foot apartment has five bedrooms and more than five bathrooms. There's a private elevator landing, a library, moldings, herringbone floors, a Carrera mantelpiece, and park views for days. But Pelle and his wife bought the apartment, before he bought the apartment, rather, for $17.5 million in 2015. It was owned by actor John Legazamo's mother-in-law. And as I reported last week, Demi Moore just sold her penthouse in that same building uh, for $45 million dollars. I think that closed last week or the week before. Interesting. 45. I, I just love these numbers. I'm in real estate. I see these numbers all the time, and I still just can't get over what goes on. Asking $75 million originally. She was asking $75 million originally. Do you remember how long ago that was? Because it, it's quite a number of years. There you go. Wow. All right. My panel is with me. We have Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Sean McPeak making a return appearance from Compass, and Phil Horrigan MrLeaseBreak.com. Welcome, guys. Good to hey see guys. you. It's a bro show today. What happened Morning. to all our lovely ladies? Bro not show. I love a bro show. That's Come pretty on. funny how you said it, Vince. It, bro show. It's a bro show. <laughs> there you have it. I love it. Everybody's off today, so hopefully closing big deals. Anyway, let's get right to it. Dorm life has its frustrations like sharing a tiny fridge and having to wear flip-flops in the shower, as well as its rewards like forming close and often lasting bonds with those who you share your tiny space and collegiate circumstances with. It makes sense, then, that many college grads new to New York City would want the kind of build-in support system dorms can offer to help them navigate life in the big city. So they don't necessarily want to get over the frat life or, or the fraternity life, uh, you know, so quickly. Today, there are a handful of companies hoping to capitalize in this niche. We live, for instance, recently developed a property on 110 Wall Street that offers studios through three bedrooms in an environment that fosters socializing with common areas, a shared kitchen, arcade, yoga studio, as well as an app that allows residents to connect with one another. Renters can opt for a month-to-month lease for flexibility, and there's housekeeping team on hand for those who want. So, my question, how will this affect our rental market overall? I, or will uh, it? Yeah, I don't think it'll affect it too much. I will say I think the idea is sort of there's a brilliant aspect to this idea. There is definitely a market for it. But, you know, 
the story with that is they thought they would have a lot more by this time. Actually, they they a lot more a lot more we live Got it. developments. Um, they thought it would be a much bigger chunk of their revenue. When they first started, the prices were very low, and I, I was I was wondering, wow, this this could really take off. But then the costs were a lot higher than they thought, so they raised the prices dramatically, and now it's really competing in a sense with those people that are trying to get a share in a bedroom somewhere, you know, like, uh, like on Craigslist, you try to find a, ro- uh, find a roommate or even on lease break, we try to find a roommate that way. So that's, that's really the market they're targeting, but the price point's high. I mean, it's $2,000 roughly for a shared apartment. Well, wait, M- so. Mr. Lease break is, is we live and we work part of the same umbrella. Yes. Ah, yes. So we work, we live is part of we work. Have, have any of you guys been to 110 wall to, I have, to visit it? So I've been there. Um, I've seen the spaces that they live in. They're literally as turnkey as you want. I mean, you walk in, there's, there's TVs, there's internet, there's cable, everything is, is taken care of. I don't think it's going to affect the rental market. It's more of, uh, you know, when I because I have friends who stay there or live there, and most of the people that are there are from out of town or out of. You know, let's just say, you know, you work for a German company and you're here for a month or two months. That's basically what this caters to, and it allows you to indulge in a little community, right? We live in a disconnected age; everyone's on their cell phone. So when you have that sort of community, and especially if you're from somebody who's from abroad who doesn't necessarily have a, a network of people, that allows you to feel more comfortable. And you know, have a sense of home, you know, away from home. So that's an what it's an interesting location because you're so close to Pace, and it, obviously not that far from NYU. But it's a um, very good location. But I will say the phrase that everything's you know comes back, like kind of like how you know Superga shoes and Converse is like everything comes back. Yeah, it is interesting because all I ever remember are my parents and my grandparents talking about communal living in the city and having like a shared bathroom, and so it is interesting that they're. You know, people want this shared idea again. I grew up um, in a house with six of us and and two <laughs> bathrooms. So I mean, uh-huh. you know, those were the days where you didn't have ensuite and you didn't have six bedrooms and six bathrooms. So by, I get it. But by the way, when you when you walk into these apartments, a they're very small. They're unbelievably well designed and laid out. Are they furnished? They are furnished, they are furnished. but the bedrooms are curtains. So you you could walk down mm-hmm. a hallway and then a bed yeah. just juts out of the wall like, yeah. with a curtain, and then like hop into bed. Right. So it's it's not necessarily well, this like a three bedroom. It's more like a big studio that they have like nooks and curtains. So, so it's, it's really not three as beds private or two beds or right. one think. bed. It's a dorm. Yeah, it's not going to be for everybody. That's the thing. You know, not it's going to be for a specific type of person. But I will say that the short term aspect of it, demand the demand for that is very very high. Very like hard said, to find property very hard. for a I mean, month or. Right, two and weeks so, and the Airbnb cracked down. Right, so we live well, is the kind of property that would post on lease break. Like that's the kind of so that's that. In other words, it's this short term space that I could I could attest to. Yes, yeah. the demand is so high for it, and so um, there's no question that I think it'll do well. I just don't like you said, Nile. I agree. I don't think it's going to dramatically affect the rental market. How right. would it compete, for example, with furnished quarters? I mean, furnished quarters is basically the same thing, day to day, week to week. It's a little different because they're like fur- seven grand for one bedroom yeah. a month. The price is a big um, thing. Furnished quarters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so it's an expense thing. But, but it's only well, it's, no, it's also mostly furnished quarters it's an entire apartment that you're renting for say Correct. three months. Correct. There there's not this sort of shared dormitory aspect. Um, you know, I, I have a space at WeWork now. We work not not we work live, but 
we work. <laughs> the, the corporate, the business we version work, of it. We work is amazing. It is. It's and absolutely the, amazing. The concept of just, hey, let's, you know, not everyone needs a printer, so let's share the printer. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty brilliant concept, and they're trying to take that concept to the residential side of it. And I do think there's a market for that as well. I also think from a millennial thought process, um, I will say when I'm, when I'm traveling the country, um, I do meet a lot of people who are just graduating college and they, they talk about the media and how it depicts New York city life. And I know that a big thing for people graduating college is the TV show girls. And I know in girls and like the second to last season, um, Allison Williams, Marnie is sharing a bathroom in her hallway in like the East Village or, or Brooklyn, wherever she is. So I, I remember a bunch of um, students came up to me and they were like, is that how it is when you first move to the city? Like you all share a bathroom in the hallway and and you each have your apartments. And so I could see it being the new hot thing. I, 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 I think there's a now. little separation. I think there's separation anxiety, you know, when you first come out of school and you want you like that environment, especially if you lived with people that you really liked and became friends with. So I can understand the fact that, you know, you'd want to continue that. I will make one comment on the rental market. I have, I don't know, three three rental listings currently in one of the buildings that I sell in all the time. And I have to tell you, the calls and the emails in about, can I do this for two months? Can I do this for three months? Is this a short-term rental? Can I do the whatever? And I'm like, no, it's a condominium, one year or more. Where do you send them, Vince? You send them I to? I send them to leasebreak.com. <laughs> <Right. laughs> nice. Short-term rental market. Of course. All right, listen, we have to take a break. The Bro Show will continue right after these messages. This is Good Morning New York live on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are. In the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot search voice america at your favorite app store streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. you are listening to good morning new york real estate with vince rocco if you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. So a buyer that recently entered into contract to purchase a $10.5 million flat-iron condo unit at Toll Brothers 55 West 17th Street is having second thoughts. She is claiming that the sellers misrepresented the ceiling height of the unit as a result of the apartment and the result of the apartment is she's unable to hold her art collection, a new lawsuit she filed claims. The buyer wants her more than $1 million down payment returned to her along with the down payment she paid for a storage unit and parking space. This is serious, guys. The lawsuit states that in February of 2016, after several requests to see plans 
of the unit, the buyers received ceiling plans that showed ceiling heights in some areas were much lower than they had been told in the sales gallery when they went in to purchase. Then in May, May of 2016, after several canceled site visits, the buyers were permitted to inspect the unit, which allegedly revealed even lower ceiling heights. Uh, unable to accommodate their art, which is one of the reasons they bought the apartment because the ceiling height was going to be high enough to accommodate. So, you know, we all deal with new development. We've all sold new development. We've all brought buyers to new development. You know, how important is it to not misrepresent, misrepresent when selling new condo developments? Obviously, we all agree we should not misrepresent, but how does this happen and why do we suspect this happen? You said this was a Toll Brothers project? Yeah. That's really 55 West 17th yeah. Street. One oh, the, wow, that's really surprising. One of the most reputable developers or builders in America. 100%. Exactly. So 100%. that is surprising. And, uh, and to hear a claim like that is, you so know, who, my who, first who question is the was, buyer? Yeah, what are they, my, my first question is, who, what are they looking to do here? Who, who knows what and who did what to whom here? Because that should be clear. It's in the offering plan. It's in the it's in the, the, the floor plan stated. Yeah. This is the ceiling. I, I'm selling a new condo development right now. I have 18-foot ceilings. Clear. I will so, say, oh, I should make one point yeah, that I do feel like people that have art are probably much more in tune with the ceiling height. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if most people get a condo and the ceiling height's a little off from what the offering plan says, but it's probably not a big deal. But this person who is so focused on it has to be a certain size, so they're laser focused on the ceiling height. So I, I just, I'm just making the point that I wouldn't be surprised if it happens a little bit more than we even think. But who really goes in with a ruler and checks the ceiling? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're, you're so laser focused, plan. then why don't you go in and check with a ruler? I mean, if that's well, so I, important. I, so to I'm going to say something that's a little confrontational, and Toll Brothers might sue me for it. But here's the thing: I mean, I, I do think that the mis- there are a lot of new developments that do. It's not that they misrepresent, but I think that their sales agents have to really watch carefully what they say because no matter what is in the offering plan, you have a lot of new developments that are very rich in price. And it takes some extra effort from these salespeople that are on site to sell them. And I think that there are times when they slip. I, I have found at new developments that I am watching the sales agent representing the developer slip on something. I don't say something, but it is in the back of my mind. Um, and maybe there was a moment where that sales agent slipped and misspoke and missaid the ceiling height, even though it was in the offering plan. Here's the thing, though. That's not Toll Brothers' fault. That's not the sales agent's fault. Because at the end of the day, the buyer's attorney is going to do due diligence via the offering plan and going to see that ceiling height. But but the other way of looking at it is, did it come up again after they already had an accepted offer? Something like that but might don't you, not happen. But don't you agree that in the, the, the offering plan, which is the, you know what I call the Bible, the book that goes to attorneys, for buyers every time they purchase. Don't you agree that that information is stated in that offering plan? And if it was incorrect in the offering plan based on how it was finally finished, that is a developer problem. Oh, absolutely. Now, the the the, the sales team, you know, has responsibility or liability also, but if they're state and and sometimes oftentimes these these developments are sold in off-site you know, um, sales offices. So you have mock kitchens and bathrooms and, and ceiling heights, whatever, but you're not in the building. So at the end of the day, if the sales team is told the ceilings are 18 feet or the ceilings are 9.5 or 9.2, and they and they state that accurately or correctly, they're not responsible for the finished product. I mean, Vince, can, I, the, can I ask you a question? Because you probably know more about this than most other people since you do a lot of new developments. But isn't there a margin for error in a lot of those offering plans? There really isn't. 
It actually says like it. This is the number. It's absolute. Wow. Now, well, what what happens is because I've also had people come in through walkthroughs with tape measures. You know, once the buildings are finished. Yeah. Because you know, in condos, in condo developments, they measure from the outside in, right. outside wall in. The room. So the if wall. you say the room is ten by twelve, it really isn't. Right. And so the square footage then suffers. So people come in and say, well, this is supposed to be eight hundred and fifty feet. My guy just measured and it's seven hundred fifty right. feet. Right. Also, do we know if because yeah. so fifty five by seventeenth was a very successful project. Um, yes, it was right from the start. Do we know if this buyer was so early that they didn't get into I the actual I don't unit? Know. The story okay. I researched didn't say. When I, when I read it, it kind of reminded me of an experience I had in a new development. And uh, I think there needs to be a red flag for someone's broker when they don't allow you to do site inspections at yeah. all mm-hmm. until the walkthrough, which is what I kind of understood reading this. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of falls on the on the sales agents. Um, if they're not letting you take a look at this place, you should well, really probably force the issue listen, at that point because you know something's going to be off. I hundred percent, one thousand percent agree with you. And being on site many times in my career, and again now lately. It's not the sales team that won't let you in. It's, right, the, it's developers the developers that won't let you in. And, and they, they do can, it for a reason because they don't want you to find imperfections until the walkthrough when they can get away with what's called a punch list. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's also and the construction we'll team. It's also the construction team because if a project's not ready to go into via the public, yeah. they're not going to be, be liable if something happens. I mean, it's... Oh, please, I'm dealing with that now. But it's hard because what do you do? You know, there's there's a new project and someone can... Someone can buy, you know, they do have an offering plan in place, but they can only buy off spec and they Mm -hmm. can't actually view the unit, even if it's raw. That's a hard place to be in because you think that you're going to get the best deal right from the start. But it's also you want to have your clients back and not have them make a mistake. I I, I buy to an extent. There comes a certain point in the project where, you know, you're going to be able to walk the site or not. I mean, people are going up in 111 Murray and they haven't even topped off yet. So. You know, uh, sometimes with these projects, I think you just have to, you know, use your intuition and know if there's something wrong. I, I really do think there's a problem if you're getting within a few months of closing and they will not let you see it. Oh, I agree. I, I, I absolutely would, agree. I 100%. usually never let my clients buy in a new development unless we can go to the actual unit. But having said that, but when Evan Murray sold apartments off spec before they even broke ground. Well, that's what I'm so saying. I mean, so when you're and, selling uh, yeah, and on the strength of the developer's reputation. Yeah. Right, exactly. Correct. Which Toll Brothers should Well, but strength. but here's the thing too, and I, I I've done several ground up, you know, in sales offices before the buildings were done. And in one case the, the developer was not known here in New York City. So it really comes down to the sales team, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but it comes down to the sales team being able to, you know, Clearly understand that offering plan, clearly represent what's in that offering plan, and make sure buyers are comfortable. But wouldn't you all agree that when you're selling new development, especially off of floor plans in a sales office, not in the building, that it's blind faith? You don't know what's going to happen yes. by the time Agreed. the building's done. There's a, there's a big leap that you're, that you're taking. You know, I did a, a, a new development deal. I mean, I think Matt's right about what, what is the sales agent on site saying. You know, I did a deal where, I mean, I think we've all done it in new development where you're like, oh, there's closings next month. And it's, you know, eight months later. And you're right. like, what is going on? The buyer's freaking out. Oh. And you even manage expectations. Look, it's not going to be next month. It'll probably be a couple months after. And it's still going on and on it's and tough. on. I lost a 1031 exchange. Same exact uh, yeah, some, scenario. They're, I mean. they're moving targets. But Sean brings up a really good point. I mean, you know, we as brokers, especially on the buy side, buy represent, you know, buy represent, representing side, excuse me, um, we go off of the reputation of these developers. So they really need to keep it in point and keep it in check because I can't tell you how many times I work with clients who, for example, like Magnum, 
you know, Magnum's doing three great projects right now. And, you know, they say to me, oh, well, 389 East 89th is so gorgeous. You know, their one on 23rd must be amazing. Or their one at 196 Orchard must be amazing. Like, they go off of rep and we go off of rep. Well, look at Excel. I mean, you know, people, you know, jump to these these developments or want to see these developments and potentially purchase because of the reputation, as he said, of the developer. I mean, it, it's clear. All right, moving on. Ever since the Department of City Planning's t- 2001 decision to rezone Long Island City, the Queens neighborhood has undergone a dramatic transformation with dozens of new residential towers going up and thoroughfares like Vernon and Jackson Boulevards becoming thriving commercial corridors. I mean, I remember old enough in real estate to remember when that was nothing, that, that Long Island City, absolutely nothing. This has meant plenty of newbies flooding in and uh, data from uh, Modern Spaces, which is a brokerage house out there, suggests that many of them may be singles. According to the brokerage's marketing report for the first quarter of 2017, one bedrooms are a hot commodity in all of Long Island City. The neighborhood saw a 29% increase in purchases of one bedrooms from last year and 71% of all condo purchases were one bedrooms up from 42% in 2016. Is Long Island City a hot neighborhood for singles? And if so, why? I don't agree I mean, with is that. Is it price at, point? I don't agree with that at all. Um, I mean, technically, if we were in a showing or if we're with clients, we'd be breaking revenue rules right now. But since we're on the radio. Um, no, no, no. I, fair housing doesn't apply here. I oh, find it. All right. I, yeah, right. I, no, where was that for three years? Actually, I seriously, it does not. It does Only in the I, transacting business does it. I actually find about. very opposite. Um, I've done a lot of business in Long Island City. I, I haven't find done that it's, I find it's a lot of families, actually, who are ha- making their families bigger, having more children. Um, you know, it doesn't bother them as much that there's not as much retail um, in Long Island City yet. Whereas I think that bothers singles. I think they want to be in a neighborhood where they can do things. And and if you look at the history of New York City real estate, any new project that has one bedrooms below a million dollars are always going to be the first apartments to go. And that's just historic evidence. And Long Island City is still a place you can get one bedrooms under a million in a new development. So I think it's more of an investment thing. You know, I think a lot of the singles are uh, in Astoria, though. And sometimes mm-hmm. people kind of uh, blend those together. And there's no doubt there's a lot of single, you know, females in Astoria, for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> you spend a lot of time out there, Sean? <laughs> They're the best food in the city, in my yeah, opinion. They do have we, we, we seem to be talking from eclectic. experience over here, right? Yeah. But you're right. But a story is it's mm. a very single population. But I wanted to mention I'm in a building these days and I face the Roosevelt Island tram, okay? And, yeah. you know, this building uh, faces down 2nd Avenue and I see that the tram is like a block away or two blocks away. I have never seen a tram go by so many times a day in my life. So, you know, there is life off of this island when most of us sometimes don't believe that that's true, whether it's Roosevelt Island, whether it's Long Island City, regardless of what it is. So I kind of struggle. I've never sold in Long Island City, but uh, I may be about to do that. At the end of the day, why would people want to commute into the city from these off-island places when it's more convenient to be here? And again, I go back. Is it really the price point? As Matt said, you know, you can get something under a million dollars in Long Island City. Is that only that? It's all perception. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people like the second they think, oh, once you're off the island, you know, it's so hard to get in here. I have clients who have moved to Long Island City off of the Vernon stop, which is the first stop, and it takes them seven minutes to get to their office if right. they work around Grand Central. Or well, if, if you work on the east side, yeah. That's no, or even because the 7 train goes all the way across that. So, yeah. so, yeah. so, you know, I mean, they it'll take them a shorter amount of time than if they're leaving on the Upper East or the Upper West or downtown. Okay, so when you're when you're, I'm going to just beat this to death. So until we go to commercial, so when when you are in your off time, it's weekend or it's after work in your home, 
what is there to do in Long Island City? They have like a they have they have Astoria, but a Long Island City. No, no, I'm talking like Center Boulevard. Um, they have they have a really cool like microbrewery, um, different things like a lot of brunch spots now, which I think attracts a lot of people. You know, really good coffee places. So I think that's kind of like the you know the rudiments of what a good neighborhood becomes. I mean, I went to a wedding there. I think uh, maybe two summers ago, and I, it, I mean, the place is beautiful. The, the the place itself, I don't remember the name, was beautiful, but the locale. The buildings that have gone up over the years have been great. Not to mention the views, by the way. Not to mention the views. The views exactly. are incredible of Midtown Manhattan. And I think that's a lot of what sells it. we got to go to break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Bro Show will continue right after these messages. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. We're back. Uh, segment three. So, almost no one would likely argue that conditions have gotten easier for stabilized renters in New York City. But after two years of rent freezes, it seems that the Rent Guidelines Board may use their upcoming June vote to institute more incremental rent rent increases for apartments that fall under rent stabilization. Neither tenant advocates nor landlords are pleased with the decision. Landlords, because they were hoping for a larger increase to line up with the operating costs, and tenant advocates, because they were hoping for at least another uh, freeze, if not a rent rollback. Where are we on this? See, I knew um, you were going to be on the show today. Yeah, I know. Simple. No, I mean, I don't know if I have that much to add. It's surprising that there were no rent increases for the last two, two years. years. That's, I think, since I've been in the city, I don't, I don't think that's happened two years in a row of no rent increases. So I'd be surprised if there was not one this year. Um, but I don't know if I have that much more that, to add to it, um, you know. Well, let's talk about then in general how in, in all of your businesses or, you know, how is the rental market? I've seen it has changed almost dramatically in a positive way. It I'm has been still, slow and, and, and flat for a long time. Because there's still, I got to tell you, there's still, I don't know what you guys think, but I mean, 
the traffic is increased. There's increased. more. The phone's ringing more. Um, the offers being made on apartments are so far below, like in a lot of cases where the asking is. I'm talking about more the higher end stuff. Let's call it like not too high end, but let's say 5000 and above, you know, that, that kind of market. The low end is still pretty strong. But, you know, you have a condo, two bedroom for $6,500 on the Upper East Side. Um, there's a lot of stuff on the market. I mean, so it, it I don't know. What you guys are seeing, but what I'm seeing is that there's still kind of not a meeting of the minds between the landlords and the renters. And so, look, some get it. Some landlords have gotten it. They've they're offer offering unbelievable incentives. Mm-hmm. They get in their places rented really quickly. But the ones that are not on board, which is still a lot of them, the places are just sitting and sitting and sitting for months. Well, I mean, since every time May hits, all of my investors' apartments that I manage, uh, their you know their leases come up. So, I guess this year, what I'm finding is, uh, as long as they are not understanding of what the market is, but get it, um, which most of them do because they're very smart, I, I find that the no fee thing is just huge. Like, mm-hmm. I think no matter what the rental market is, I. I've gotten most of my investors to let me rent them out this year, no fee, let them pay me. You know, we work out some sort of commission um, and they've flown off the shelf. Like, they, no matter what the price is, they've gone in the first week. You think you got to price it aggressively, price it a little lower than you might think it. You know, obviously you always want to get them top dollar, but, you know, with the market being There's like time this, value definitely. Money too. The longer you have it on, you know, at a at a steeper price that it's yeah. not going to rent out, you're losing valuable dollars in rent. You have to get in front making. of it. You have to get in front of it. Yeah, I mean, I just think that the market in general, the rental market, I think we've we've hit the season. I have uh, 83 units in Brooklyn and four availabilities in the well, in, it's the whole building. So four availabilities right now, and oh. they were on the they were on the market for you know two weeks, and then on Saturday. We literally had people fighting over the apartments. Mm, I mean, I, I, we rented all of our four apartments, and people were fighting, fighting no in the fee, lobby. Yeah, no, it's fee. no fee no and fee. a month free. You got to understand well, where the market they, is. Well, that, that's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head. But now. that's it, right? Yeah. You, you you give those incentives, and people are going to come, and they're going to be yeah. super aggressive, full yeah. ask. You yeah. know, because the traffic is up, and they're going to gravitate to yeah. deals like that. You know For what sure. I mean? So. And the flip side of that, I have four rental listings at the 505 building, which I'm always in, as I talk about. And I we did two in one week, no concessions, mm. full broker prices, mm. and wow. full asking prices. Mm. And we're talking 3000 plus, 3500 3150 So I'm shocked because that building sometimes takes a while to yeah. rent a unit. Yeah. Were those rents, how do they compare with the rents last year and the year before? The prices, I mean. Mm-hmm. On, uh, consistent. On point. So I don't lower market. prices. I don't lower prices in that building because we keep trying to. I'm associated with that building for ten years. We ch- keep trying with every rental and every sale mm. to raise the bar. You know, sometimes it takes a while to get there, but you know, we we've been doing it. You know, consistently. Knock on wood. But you know, I thought this time out of the box with so many rental listings out of nowhere that these people were going to sit on the market, and they have not. And I, it's quite amazing. Now I have a two bedroom for five thousand dollars, which I just yesterday. Lowered to forty nine hundred, mm-hmm. and I'm getting a little more uh, inter- um, interest in email and vo- and voice messages. So let's see how quickly that same goes. building, or? same building, and they all went on the market in the same. Dude, where is this in, in the, the Hell's Kitchen? Midtown right? West. Yeah, yeah, I would say like, there could be also a um, a little bit of a I guess you know a trend there, which is also you're benefiting from. Not you know? actually, because um, that that area is doing a lot better relative to some other areas. So there could be Is a little really, bit of a, a yeah, a little, perspective? I think you're being helped by a little bit of a, a trend too. Okay. You know, okay. <clears throat> so. All right. Anyway, moving on more than two thirds of the, uh, um, 
Yeah, two-thirds of the renters in the United States say lack of down payment is what's keeping them from buying a home. This is according to reports by Zillow. In New York, the stakes are even higher. The median sale price for a Brooklyn home during the first quarter of this year was $770,000, assuming that both your building and your bank will probably require a 20% down payment. That means you'll have to put down $154,000 up front, three times the median annual income in the city. How are first-time buyers handling this? And, and what do we see in our businesses with, with regard to the, the 20% rule, as I call it? Condos, 10% of contract signing, but you need another 10%. Co-ops, 20% and or higher, 25, 30 in some cases. Where are first-time buyers coming up with, well, in this example, $154,000? I, I find that... And we're for, talking about millennials, probably. Yeah, I mean, I find that first-time buyers are really leaning towards mm-hmm. condos. You know, they're they're stretching their price range a little bit to get to have an opportunity at least with the bank to put down 10 or 15% and, you know, leverage more money while interest rates are still low. And, and Hey, it depends on the kind of person, but a lot of these millennials are in jobs these days. Let's use banking as an example where they get their, most of their paycheck at the end of the year. So I have a lot of first time buyers who are doing interest only products. You know, they're doing a five year or seven year interest only, or as we call them IO because you don't have to pay the principal until the end of the year, or you can even, you know, hold it off more than that. And that's very attractive to people. So, so not only are they leveraging more money, but they're also, and meaning they have more money in their pocket when they, after their down payment, but they're also, you know, not paying their principal for a while. So it's very interesting. But do they find that scary? Um, at some point, you know, because everything is based on <clears throat> annual incremental increases in, in, in earnings and what happens if it's a slow year or a bad year. I mean, you know. I, I find that they they don't find it as scary as people used to find interest only products. I remember people would shriek at the fact of an interest only. But millennials these days, and especially I just think first time buyers these days are much more willing to take a risk yeah. if they really like something. I'm looking at 10 year arms with uh, with one of my buyers right now. I mean, he's just looking at a 30 year fix and he's like, well, why wouldn't I do 10 year arm to get a lower rate? You know, So there's a lot of different products that are out there. And I think to answer Vincent's question, how are some millennials who don't necessarily have all the money to put down, a lot of them you know, use the, the help and support of their family. You know, I'm doing a deal on 18th Street where you know, it's a co-purchase. You I know, wanted I, to I ask you guys. The co-purchase, you know, where yeah. the, the buyer who's a millennial is buying with his parents. His parents are very, very well off. And, you know, they're assisting with the purchase. They're putting 50% down. And, you know, we went non-contingent with that deal. Is that and a co-op? That, yeah, it's a co-op. Got to love those board packages, co-purchase, right? Uh, uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think I went blind after it, but, you know, <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still kicking. <laughs> still kicking it. So the co-purchase, then, and then gifting. You know, parents can gift. You know, they write a gift letter that they don't need the money back. And, you know, that's another very you know tangible and uh, often used solution uh, for, for millennials or first-time buyers. So let me ask you about that because um, – <laughs> I used to see so much of that parents buying for children, parents co-purchasing with children, whatever. In in my personal business, I haven't seen too much of that lately. So I was going to ask you if that seems to be coming back again. And clearly in this example it is. Uh, I think especially in condos where the, the price premium is a little higher than co-ops. And as you said, going blind on a board package, which, I mean, those of you out there who don't understand board packages for co-ops in New York City, wow, was that an education. Anyway, but, you know, that's harder to purchase in a co-op with parents' help than it is in a condo. I also find that it's the whole gift. <laughs> so yeah, my, well, I, have whole, lot, yeah. I have a lot of clients who have bought, you know, several apartments with me and all of a sudden I'll get a call. 
hey, my kid just turned 25. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I should buy him an apartment. Mm-hmm. He's paying so much rent, you know? And then and then they their kid winds up paying the mortgage and the maintenance. Like, how nice. It's more them. common, too, in like, <laughs> Asian cultures, I find that, you know, you have a lot of Indian and Chinese clients that want to help their kids, uh, you know, especially a new development, you know, get a Yeah. Get a, get a first step on it. And I think that's the right thing to do, honestly, especially in a market like this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, stepping into a market where it's very pricey, I mean, you know, it's only going to be more expensive tomorrow and next week than it is today. So if you have help or if you can find help to buy, or if you can do it on your own, why not? And we have many brokers here in this room who are willing to help you. So let's talk about Where's the better place to retreat when summer stickiness descends on us, a beach house or a log cabin in the woods? Now, this is, you know, there's always 50% on either side. Both have their pros and cons, of course. For some New Yorkers, there's nothing that beats a sandy walk along the shore, while for others, the peace and quiet of a log cabin couldn't be better. With summer vacation inching closer and closer, Brick Underground, of course, asked the question, where would they prefer to spend their summer? So, what do you think? A log cabin in the woods or a beach house in the Hamptons, the Jersey Shore? I mean, wherever. I mean, I think we know that the answer for most people is going to be Hamptons, even though I just can't stand it anymore. Not necessarily Hamptons, just (laughs) ocean somewhere. Yeah, no, I mean, so so actually, to track back a little bit, your Long Island City uh, concept, Mm -hmm. a lot of my clients who move to Long Island City, their weekends are in the Hamptons and they, you know, they, they uh, bypass about two hours of traffic just to get through the Midtown Tunnel. So, so being all the way out there already, they get, you know, tons less time to get out there. But, um, I don't know. I, I think people should explore the Catskills more where I am upstate. Yeah, yeah have it. <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with a log cabin, but I will say definitely the beach. And it doesn't have to be the Hamptons. In, in fact, uh, I mean, Fire Island is like my go-to. Love Fire Island. And I also play I also play a lot of beach volleyball, so got to go with Got to go with the, the fun beach. fact of the day. Oh yeah, two on two, buddy, all the way. All right, yeah. all right. <laughs> I dig it. Sean, where's your choice? Uh, my choice is the beach, but I've have a lot of clients and friends that opt for you know upstate Hudson uh, because they don't want to see the people they see all week at work. They want to be secluded. So interesting fact. I mean, I love the beach, but I think the trend is uh, is is to see what's going on upstate. You know, I, I'd like to explore that a little bit more. I went to prep school in Kent, Connecticut, so who's going with the trends are going? I know what it's like. So let's let's see. Yeah, exactly. Let's see what's going on up there. <laughs> see if we can set something even bigger. Set it on fire. I agree with you that the trend seems to be heading more towards the upstate, whether it's a cabin or whatever it is, but Hudson upstate Valley New York, type. Hudson Valley type. And I've done both through the years: rented in the Hudson Valley, rented in the Hamptons. <laughs> My choice is always going to be the beach first, but I will tell you the summers that I spent in the Hudson Valley were pretty decent. So, you know, yeah. if you have a pool, everything is uh, everything is relative. It's hard to beat Fire Island, though. Those that haven't oh, really Oh, Fire Island is beyond. It. Well, yeah, yeah that, that's that's amazing. For people who don't know Fire Island, though, there are like I, 40 I neighborhoods. Yeah, there's a lot. So, there's a lot to like, it. I'm so Jewish when it comes to these things, but I hate not being close to a hospital. I'm like, oh my God, what if I get sick? Um, For heaven's sakes. Really. No, I mean, healthcare is great on Fire Island. It's a Jewish warrior. No, but, but it, something about Fire Island is beautiful, but something about not having a car or any form of transportation, I, I hate it. that. Like, I want to be able yeah. to get away. Yeah. And, New York is. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I car. can't deal with it. Right. Exactly. Right. You live in New York without a car, maybe. All right. We got to go to break. This is Good Morning New York on Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Hello, everybody. We are back with Niall Lundgren from Compass, Sean McPeak from Compass, and Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com. Matt Cohen had to leave early this morning. All right, so after years of calling the shots, sellers are now seeing the value of compromise. During the first quarter of the year, the number of sales in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens jumped 24% year over year from 7,300 transactions in 2016 to 9,100 transactions in 2017. Listings, discounts, which increased in every sector of the market, helped drive the activity. Sellers' mindsets are changing, according to Jonathan Miller, the CEO of appraisal firm Miller Samuel. He says once sellers are anchored to an unrealistic price, it can take them a couple of years to see the light. It's almost a mourning period that they're not going to get what they originally thought. Still, convincing sellers to slash prices can be <clears throat> tough, according to brokers. Many sellers did not get the memo buyers got, said Paul Purcell of William Ravis. It's like dating someone that's not right for you. All your friends are telling you to move on, and you're just not listening. Great analogy. That's so, a good one. Reminds yeah. me of something sign like Kramer or something would have it on Seinfeld. There yeah, you like, go. You know, you're dating the girl. It's like, come on. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So how are we doing with sellers today? I mean, clearly there's been a shift and things are moving a little bit. Inventory is, you know, kind of where it is. But some sellers, smart sellers, are, are taking heed and adjusting where necessary. But there are some who are not. So where in our all of our businesses are we with Sellers. And educate your sellers. Yeah. Educate the sellers and time time will help them see, you know, if you if you have a listing that has, you know, fifty showings and there's no offers, then there's something there's something to be said about it. You right. know, if there, if there's something that has uh, no showings and it's been on the market for thirty days, you know, you gotta you gotta gotta lower the price. So I mean there's there's data and there's facts out there and then you have to be uh, you have the wherewith have to have the wherewithal to present that facts, you know, professionally to your to your clients. And sometimes you have to explain the market's changed. Yeah. It's, and that's not a tough pill to swallow. All right, you know, so playing devil's advocate, as Matt Cohen likes to do all the time. So you're, you're pitching an exclusive, and you go, and the seller says, I want X, and you say, as the uh, the experienced agent, you know, and we've all had these conversations, well, I don't think so, and here are the comps, and here based on this and based on that. I think you need to be at Y, not at X. And they kind of look at you like, you know, really? What are we doing these days to kind of combat that 
and bring them on board, as Niall says, to kind of educate them. I mean, and I say strongly educate them. But then we run the risk of saying, well, but we don't really want to lose the listing and we don't want somebody else to come in, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I've, I mean, I think you brought up in the beginning of the show, I point to uh, the 54th floor at the Time Warner Center. I showed that, you know, after it was on for, I think it was with his second broker a few years ago. I was showing that. And uh, <clears throat> it's just, uh, that is a, a case study of overpricing an apartment, letting it linger too long, way and then taking it way less than you should have in mm-hmm. the first place because mm-hmm. that apartment is worth more than $16 million. Yeah, it I, is. For sure. I agree so much with that sentiment so data really helps i always show data to the, to my clients i always say look look what's going on here look how many days these apartments have been on the market and i always make the point that if you start at the wrong price you will very it's very highly likely that you will wind up with a price less than what you would have received had you just priced it right from the beginning the other thing that i think is just interesting going on is i've had a lot of clients call me that have that are asking about the market. These are clients that I've built trust with over years and years, and I'm telling them what their apartment should be priced at, and they're saying, "I totally believe you," and I'm just not going to sell it now. So, it's, what I the point the point I'm trying to make is that I do think that that's how the market eventually self-corrects. Is like the data gets out there that the market's kind of not where people maybe thought it was, and then not as much stuff goes on the market because, and then eventually there's not that much inventory, and then pricing stabilizes, and then things start to go up again. That's right. Let me go back to that point that you made because it's interesting. So for the listeners out there who don't understand necessarily, you know, the dynamic of the marketplace here in New York, so. Um, that apartment started, I think, at 50, ended up selling at $16 million. So you think that uh, it's worth more than that, infinitely more than that. So are you saying that it's because of the length of time on market that it gets beyond stale and, and, and old and that people just, just give up on it? I think that's part of it. I think I think perception is a major driver of the market. And you know, I think every broker that took that listing you know, worked on the seller a little more. And then eventually they got to a place where you know, I thought it was lower than when I showed it. I thought it was worth around $24, $25 million, um, at that point in 2012 or 2013. Um, and now they, they they took 16 for it, which to me is much lower than they should have. I, I thought the same thing. As and also, and also to, I mean, I should add, there's a lot of inventory, um, direct competition that <clears> came <throat> on in that in during that, that time. Right, so. right. Anyway, 40 years ago, Bay Ridge is staying, was still staying alive. If you call Bay Ridge is the location in Brooklyn where the film Saturday Night Fever was filmed back in 1977. The neighborhood remains <laughs> imbued with the spirit of Saturday Night Fever that jet-fueled the waning fat of disco and showcased the cravings of some bridge and tunnel Brooklynites to shed their blue-collar origins in favor of Manhattan's flicker, glitter, and glamorous lifestyle. You know, I, anyway, today, Brooklyn is no longer the stepchild of New York City neighborhoods, but are there people who live there that still want to shed that Brooklyn upbringing and move to the city, as everybody, you know, calls Manhattan? Forty years ago, it was like the, the everybody's dream. If you lived in Brooklyn, you wanted to come to Manhattan because that's where your life was going to begin and that's where life was. Are there people today, but then we saw a shift back to Brooklyn, and Brooklyn has become hot, and we talk about it every week. The the prices out there are insane, in some cases higher than Manhattan. But are there still people who want to still leave their their roots in Brooklyn and move to the city? Hmm. Um, I think less so. I think, honestly, when I meet people from Staten Island, I hear that that kind of mindset more often when people mm-hmm. from Staten Island they're always you know taking you know the ferry or they're you know they're taking a cab over two bridges to get into the city. That's rough. Yes. Yeah, so uh, 
I hear that more of Staten Island. I think Brooklyn is is a city in of itself. I think yeah. people. I think it's trendy. Um, you know, I think a lot of people would rather avoid Manhattan. Yeah, um, and I think that the people who you know, for example, might have grown up in you know Bay Ridge, they 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 move within Brooklyn to another neighborhood, yeah. Cobble Hill, Park Slope, Williamsburg, mm-hmm. Brooklyn Heights. Um, yeah, just to get away from the family per se, but you're still in the same borough, and it's just as cool as living in Manhattan. I, I would absolutely agree. But, I, you know, in growing up, I had friends who, you know, I met here in Manhattan, uh, you know, years ago who were from Brooklyn and will tell you the stories of, oh, we just couldn't wait to get out of Brooklyn. We needed to move and this and that. And now, you know, I think some of them still probably wouldn't want to go back for whatever their reasons are, personal reasons. But, you know, uh, it's as glamorous, I think, in sections Dumbo, you know, Brooklyn Heights. I mean, I can go on and on. Some of the neighborhoods out there are fantastic. I'm amazed how when I first started in the business 13 years ago, I mean, Bed-Stuy was almost like a punchline. I mean, it's like, oh, Bed-Stuy, you know. And now it's like this cool place that all these young kids are living in. And I can't tell you how many people post on our website in Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights. You know, they're posting their apartments for share and there's so much traffic on that. I'm just like, it, it's unreal how they've changed. Off the charts. Off yeah. the charts. All of a sudden, the, the, the gentrification or the, the, the change in those neighborhoods, it's beyond. beyond. I sold uh, I sold to uh, um, a couple. Um, parents were buying for them in, in Crown Heights and they were dead set on Crown Heights. Absolutely had to have Crown <laughs> Heights because of all the brunch places and you know, yeah, access to transportation. I mean, it's amazing. Well, the, the, the brunch places, as you say, the retail and, and the bar scene and all of that transportation is really what's making that place pop. But, you know, none of us can forget what it used to be. I mean, mm. and not too long ago. So Bushwick, Crown Heights, Bed-Stuy. I mean, these are neighborhoods that, you know, in my 15 years in real estate, I would never... I mean, I would never even think that that was a possibility that they could become the new East Village or the new, you know, Soho or the new whatever. You know, and, you know, we talk about the rental market struggling a little bit. I always get back to the fact that there's all these new neighborhoods in Brooklyn that people and Queens, too, that people are now thinking, I want to live in these other neighborhoods. And it's got to have an effect on the demand in Manhattan. I mean, how could it not? You know, it, you're, you're essentially increasing the inventory that people could possibly, you know, where they could possibly be living, you know. So I do think that also has an effect on, on the rental market. So we have a little less than two minutes left. My last question today is, so growing up and growing out of Manhattan. So you've lived here for many years. You become a certain age. You've reached, uh, you know, a certain uh, degree of success in your career. You could do pretty much anything you want to do. How many people in your books of business grow up get a little older and say, I'm done. Does it exist? I mean, I mean I'm really, talking to all millennials here, so I mean, yeah, I, I, really, I get, it really you know, depends. It really depends on who you're talking to. I mean, you know, I've seen, you know, people who have families, you know, stick around and upgrade and stay in the city or take off and, you know, go elsewhere, you know, Connecticut, New Jersey, or the Los empty Angeles, nesters that come or, back or what have you. I mean, I mean the, Vast majority of people I went to school with, I graduated with. I mean, they're they're all buying houses on Long Island or Connecticut or uh, Westchester. No one really wants to buy in the city. Reason for that? I think I think price has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, just the cost of living. You know, cost of sending kids to school. You know, and if you don't have, uh, you know, your parents helping out or giving you a gift or co-purchasing with you, you know, coming up with the down payment, one hundred and fifty, two hundred grand, or three hundred grand for something that's reasonable. That's one thing that all the people talking about difficult. have in common. Yeah. Their parents are not helping them. But the, but the, but the thing too also is like you just do people just grow tired of living here in New York City? 
mean, you can. It could beat you up a little bit, yeah. but you got to, you know, learn to, you know, to navigate. You know, for me, seconds. I've been tired of different neighborhoods, but it's a matter of switching neighborhoods. When I switch to a new neighborhood in the city, I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm all refreshed. You know, I could, <laughs> I could do this for another few years. Atta then I get boy. tired of that one. Then I move, you know, yeah. so it's, it's that's the key to me. All right. We'll hold that thought for next week. I am out of time. That is our show for today. Thanks to my panel. As always, we'll be back next week. Please be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 